is the question of does Judaism believe in the death penalty? And um, the, date over, the debate over the death penalty and capital punishment as it's called has raged in this country for almost two centuries um, going back to 1852 when the state of Massachusetts the Commonwealth became the first state in the Union to abolish the death penalty. Um, this continued through 1972 when the Supreme Court declared the death penalty to be unconstitutional and so the death penalty was abolished throughout the United States. Um, it was re that was reversed four years later in 1976 when, this, when the Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty with certain conditions is, can be constitutional. So today there are 20 states in the Union that do not have a death penalty at all while, thank you, while there are 13 states that have the death penalty on the books but have a moratorium on the death penalty. Um, in other words, they don't actually carry it out even though it is on the books. California notably has become the latest state at the beginning of this year where our governor has signed the moratorium on the death penalty in that while prosecutors can still seek the death penalty and people can be given the death penalty, nobody is actually going to be executed. So there have been arguments offered on both sides of the debate and many arguments. And my goal today is not to get into the different arguments on the different sides of the debate. Um, but both sides, my goal is to focus on how both sides have invoked religious arguments um, as part of the debate. And notably, um, in, this is one of the um, interesting areas of popular debate in this country where um, Judaism and the view of Judaism has taken a very prominent role. In fact, in 1988, the Eighth Circuit, in a ruling on the death penalty, quoted the Torah as evidence that the death penalty is ethical. Now, others, um, including prosecutors in that case, argued that, um, sorry, defense in that case argued that in fact that's not true. Judaism considers the death penalty to be unethical. And so the, the both sides have invoked the Jewish perspective as to whether the death penalty is ethical or unethical, whether we should have it or we should not. So there, our question for today, therefore, is, well, what is it? What is the position, the official Jewish position or the position of Torah on the death penalty? Is it ethical or not? So now, a quick look at the Torah makes it clear that the Torah is a fan of the death penalty. There are two executions that are actually mentioned in the Torah. One in this week's parsha um, for the Megadef, as he's called, the fellow who cursed God. Um, it's often called blasphemy, but it's not. Blasphemy is when you say something against God. This is cursing God. Um, the other time is in the book of Numbers in Parsha Shlach, um, where somebody is put to death for the desecration of Shabbos. So throughout the Torah, so there's at least two executions in the Torah. Throughout the Torah, we are told there are many crimes for which there is a death penalty. Um, there are four different forms of execution listed in the Torah, with a total of the Mishnah lists 36 different transgressions in Judaism for which there is a death penalty. And they include all sorts of different transgressions. 
Some are interpersonal transgressions, such as crimes like murder has a death penalty, kidnapping has a death penalty, and even hitting one's parents has a death penalty. <coughs> it also includes... It also includes sexual transgressions, such as adultery, incest, male homosexuality, all have a death penalty in Judaism. It also includes ritual crimes, such as idol worship, cursing God, as we saw in this parsha, and Shabbos desecration um, are just some of the 36 transgressions for which there is a death penalty in the Torah. You mean if you don't observe for desecrating the Shabbos, for failing, for um, breaking one of the 39 rules on Shabbos, the Torah says the punishment is death. Shabbos is a pretty serious thing. So, So does that then mean that the Torah encourages the death penalty? If you read the Torah, it would imply that the Torah strongly encourages the death penalty and it is a very common <coughs> form of punishment in Judaism. 36 crimes for which you can be punished with the death penalty. So the Torah would, simple reading of the Torah seems to tell us that the Torah is a strong fan of using execution, using capital punishment as a form of punishment. However, when we look a little deeper, we discover that it's actually not so simple. When we look at, as we know, the, Torah, the written Torah itself is really just a cryptic document documenting our oral traditions. So in order to really know Judaism's perspective on anything, you have to look at the oral traditions. As we've discussed in our class on the Talmud, the most comprehensive work on our, of our oral teachings, of the oral Torah, is the Talmud. So whenever you want to know what Judaism says about something, the go-to book, most important book, is always the Talmud. So, so when we look at the Talmud, the Talmud's description of how the Torah's death penalty was carried out shows us a very different picture. Firstly, capital punishment is only in effect in Judaism while the temple is standing in Jerusalem. Once, if there is no temple, there is no capital punishment. In addition... In addition, you need to have a Sanhedrin, a supreme council um, that is stationed in the temple. Now, our temple has been destroyed <coughs> for almost seven, for almost two thousand years, and so we have not had a temple, and by extension, have not had the death penalty for almost two thousand years. In fact, we know. That furthermore, the Sanhedrin was abolished um, almost 1,700 years ago. We have not had a Supreme Council in Judaism for almost 1,700 years. So we have not carried out the death penalty really for over 2,000 years because we know the Sanhedrin abolished the death penalty or stopped carrying it out 40 years before the destruction of the temple. So for over 2,000 years, Judaism has not had the death penalty as prescribed in the Torah. Now, even for the first 1,200 years or so of Judaism, when we did 
practice the death penalty as prescribed in the Torah, it was close to impossible to gain a conviction. And here's the reason why. When you want to get a conviction, you want to convict someone of a crime, there's all sorts of different forms of evidence that you can use to prove that they committed the crime. In Jewish teachings, though, the, the forms of evidence that you need are very, very hard to obtain. Firstly, the Talmud is very clear, the mission is very clear, that circumstantial evidence is never accepted in a Jewish criminal court. So if you're prosecuting someone for a crime or for a Jewish transgression, you can never accept circumstantial evidence. The example that the Mishnah gives is as follows. You see someone chasing someone else with a knife into a <coughs> building. You see them coming out a few moments later with the knife dripping with blood. You go in and you find the person, the victim, slain inside. You cannot convict based on that kind of evidence because that is circumstantial evidence. You did not see the crime. So without seeing, actually seeing the crime, that is not enough to gain a conviction. Could you define, sir, you gave us an example, but could you give us the definition? Any time, unless the, the crime was, was seen, unless you hear testimony from someone who saw the crime, any other evidence is no good. So if you Doesn't saw him count. actually do it, then it's... You've got to see him sense. actually do it. So, not only that, not only that, we do not take into account any confession or any statement of the accused. So the accused has no say. They don't plead guilty or innocent. They cannot say they did it, they didn't do it. We don't pay attention to what they say. So their own version of the events is irrelevant. We need to hear witnesses that saw them commit the crime. And one witness is not enough. We need to have at least two witnesses that saw them com actually commit the crime. So they don't get to speak at all? Is that fair? They can argue why the witness's testimony is not good but their version of what happened is not relevant. Oh, they can. Okay. They can argue why it's no good, but their version of what happened is not relevant. Stephen had a question. Sure. There's, there's a difference between getting a conviction and getting a conviction, which is capital. Yes. Because there is getting a, basis, a conviction. There is a basis of, of getting these people who cannot be killed put in jail. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yes. That's very um, important to us. Now that we have... We are, now that there's like closer to TV where you can even witness the crime on, on film, yeah. is that considered a witness? Is that witness? If you see a film, how do you know it's real? Well, if you'd like closer to TV well, in a store or something. How do you know it's real? It's against circumstantial. That's right. So it's circumstantial. How do you know who made it? How do you know what's on it? Yes, Ron. But if, but if he comes and says he did... Doesn't matter. Confession means... Confession means nothing. Right. They, they let him go it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant for this conviction. So, the only way to ever convict the crime is for a crime and to ever get someone killed based on the Torah's instructions of these 36 
transgressions for which there is capital punishment would be if the crime was committed in front of at least two people who can then testify they saw it. <coughs> now, there's an, the likeliness of that happening is low, of course. People don't tend to commit crimes in front of other witnesses. <laughs> Do you have to be a certain age to be considered a witness? Yes, over Jewish adulthood. So let so 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 then there's another then there's another catch though. In order to convict somebody of a crime, it's not enough to know that the crime happened or that the individual committed the crime. You also need to prove what is called intent. You need to prove that the person that committed the crime intended to commit a crime. Otherwise, there may be all sorts of, they may have, yes, killed someone, but it was in self-defense, or they didn't realize what they were doing, or you've got to know that they intended to kill the person. Now, here's what makes it more complicated. Given that in Judaism, we do not accept any circumstantial evidence, circumstantial evidence that the person intended to commit the crime, such as they were chasing after someone with a knife, that itself does not prove, is, does, is not enough because we don't accept any circumstantial evidence. You need witnesses to have witnessed the intent. How can witnesses witness the intent? The only way to do so is if the person who is committing the crime prior to committing the crime, acknowledged, I am committing this crime, I know what I am doing, and I have every intention to commit this crime. And unless they were warned and acknowledged the warning, or acknowledged on their own that they are committing the crime, you don't have eyewitnesses to testify that there was intent. Even if the circumstantial evidence shows intent, that's not good enough in the Jewish courts that would enforce the Torah prohibitions. So, it's not enough just to have two witnesses seeing the crime. The criminal has to announce before the crime that they are committing the crime. And that is the only way, uh, it doesn't usually happen, that is the only way <coughs> in Jewish law that you can get a conviction for a crime. Given the high bar of evidence, the Talmud says that a court, or the Mishnah says, a court that kills once in seven years is considered a murderous court. Or, the Talmud has another view that says that's even that's too much, once in 70 years is considered a murderous court. In fact, the reason why the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council in Judaism, abolished the death penalty, the reason why they abolished the death penalty 40 years before the destruction of the, Talmud, of the temple was because there were too many murders and they were, get, they were getting too many convictions for the death penalty, and at that point they didn't want to kill so many people, and so they abolished the death penalty entirely, 40 years again before the destruction of the temple. So, it, uh, so that means that we do not practice the death penalty today, nor have we for over 2,000 years. <laughs> and... Um, even when we did, it was extremely difficult to gain a conviction. So, did we not practice then the death penalty for the last 2,000 years? Did we almost never convict people? So, the truth is that we did. 
we did convict people, and we did have people killed um, over the years. We did not practice the death penalty as instructed in the Torah. But in Judaism, we actually have two systems of punishment. One system of punishment that we have is the Torah system that the Torah gave us, with the 36 transgressions for which there is a death penalty, for which the bar of gaining a conviction is very, very high, close to impossible. Then, however, there is another system. The Torah tells us that we as a society must build societal laws as necessary to keep our society functioning. So, there's Torah-given laws. Many of them involve interpersonal relationships. Some of them involve different interpersonal crimes. But we then, they're not all comprehensive. Societies evolve, societies adjust. Um, they change over time. In every Jewish society, we are expected um, to have a religious leadership or a civil leadership with a Jewish court system that will create our own rules within society, within the Torah's rules, to help protect society. In those rules, we can create both contractual rules, business rules. We can also create criminal rules with our own punishments as necessary. And indeed, we have the right to even include capital punishment as a punishment within our societal rules that we create outside of the original rules given to us by the Torah. And indeed, throughout history, starting in the earliest times of history, King David, King Solomon, um, later kings, going all the way through to the Kehillahs, the Jewish communities in Eastern Europe and in other places, um, we Jews always had our own legal system. Uh, we were somewhat autonomous. And wherever Jews had our own judicial autonomy, our own right to create our own rules and enforce them, we did so. We created our own rules. And in many of those places, those rules included capital punishment for certain crimes, and which was <coughs> something that we carried out um, when necessary. Now, as part of creating those rules, and we did so, Talmud lists a number of such instances where we carried out the death penalty for all sorts of different crimes um, over the years that were outside of the, regu the Torah's regular rules for which there would normally be a death penalty. In addition, we also have the right within our judicial system that we create separate from the Torah's framework, we also have the right to create our own standards of evidence. So while there are standards of evidence for the Torah's system, that the Torah created that ran through the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council, we also have the right to create a separate system that has our own standards of evidence. So, for that, in, the, in that way, if someone has committed a murder, and we have very strong evidence that they have, but not enough to convict within the Torah's rules, we still have the ability to convict them, try them, and convict them, with whatever punishment we deem necessary, um, within a societal system that we create. This is called Din Melech, the rule of the king, or, um, or the rule of the courts. Um, Din Betin, the courts or the king has the right to create these rules. What kind of evidence can we accept within our societal, so in the societal rules that we create, they still have to work within the Torah's framework. You can't make any rule you want. The rules still have to be fair and still have to follow Jewish values. So what kind of... <coughs> What kind of societal rules 
uh, standards of evidence are acceptable. So Jewish scholars, since we have had Jewish autonomous systems throughout all of our history, um, Jews had autonomy throughout most of our history at our own kehilos, our own organized communities. Jewish scholars have debated um, and addressed the different forms of evidence that would be accepted um, within Jewish values or for a society to create. Um, many Jewish scholars, notably the Rashba, point out that um, circumstan using circumstantial evidence um, is acceptable. Um, if it's very, very strong circumstantial evidence, it is acceptable to gain a conviction um, for a societal crime and punish them within the societal rules that we've created, including, if necessary, capital punishment. So we can create rules for which there is capital punishment, such as murder. We can, we also, another common rule that we had historically for which there was a capital punishment in Judaism was, the, was a moser, somebody who worked um, with our um, enemies um, against the Jewish community, was essentially a traitor to the Jewish community. Generally, it was something that put the community in great danger, and that was usually the crime for which there was capital punishment throughout much of our history. Um, and it was enforced many, many times. Um, so you do not need to have two witnesses. We can create rules so long as there is very strong circumstantial evidence. Can you use confessions? So <laughs> we cannot use confessions just as is. The reason is that people often confess to things that they do not do, that they did not do. However, we can use confessions with corroborating circumstantial evidence. So if there is circumstantial evidence, um, for that, uh, if, if there is a confession, for that matter, a single witness with strong corroborating circumstantial evidence that shows we have strong reason to believe that it is true, then we are able to convict based on that as well. However, um, confession or single witness on their own would not be enough in, a Jewish, in Jewish values. Um, we have a similar system um, in our legal system where confession alone without a body or without some sort of circumstantial evidence that a crime has been committed um, does not work. Um, in Judaism, the fact that a crime was committed is not enough. You need evidence that this individual committed the crime outside of their confession or outside of the single witness. However, the view in Judaism is that when convicting, and especially when convicting for a capital crime, we must be extremely careful never to convict an innocent person. And so therefore the bar of evidence, even if we do accept circumstantial evidence, strong circumstantial evidence, and um, confession or single witness with circumstantial evidence, the, the bar must be very high. In other words, we must be very, very strongly convinced beyond any doubt that this person committed this crime. Until we're convinced beyond any doubt that this person um, that, uh, that this person committed the crime, um, until we can be convinced of that, um, we will not convict. In the words of Maimonides, better to um, better to let a thousand guilty people go free than to convict one innocent person. And that is our Jewish value that we always go by. Better, better to let a thousand guilty people go free, not to risk convicting even one innocent person. So even if there's strong evidence, if it's even slightly possible, um, that 
the evidence is invalid for whatever reason, we would not convict in um, Jewish in, in Jewish laws, even in, not in the original Torah law, for sure not, we haven't had it for close to 2,000 years, but even in the Din Melech, even in the kingdom law, the societal law that we've created, we also would not convict without very, very, very strong evidence. And so therefore, we did carry out capital punishment throughout much of our history. Um, however, um, it was very, very rare. It was not very common. In modern times, um, since <laughs> the 19th century, um, Jewish communities have not had judicial autonomy. Today, we do, there is no Jewish community any in the world, anywhere in the world that has its own judicial autonomy, has its own ability to carry out its own judicial punishments. And so we do not carry out any, there are no Jewish criminal courts anywhere, and we do not um, convict for any or try any crimes, um, whether interpersonal or against God, um, in any Jewish courts whatsoever. Now, the truth is that all of this is really irrelevant to the capital punishment debate in the United States. And that's because what we discussed is what Jews do based on the Torah that God gave us. But that is only relevant to the Jewish people who made a covenant with God and were given God's commandments and the structure for which we, in which we should follow those commandments. The rules of the Torah, though, are not meant for humanity, for the rest of the world, and in no way do we attempt to enforce or to uh, our, we, do we attempt to apply our Torah rules to a non-Jewish society around us. Nor have we ever tried to. So we do not expect our society to adopt Torah rules. So if you ask us, what does the Torah say about there being a death penalty in the state of California or in the United States, given that it is a non-Jewish country uh, to whom the Torah was not given and who are not bound by the Torah's rules, the Torah's rules of 36 transgressions for which there is capital punishment, rules of evidence, and then the societal law doesn't apply to non-Jews, that is for the Jewish people. So whatever the Torah says doesn't really matter to the debate of capital punishment. Yet, we do believe still in a universal moral code. Judaism teaches that while the Torah is not meant for the nations of the world, the Torah is not meant for non-Jews, the Ten Commandments was not meant for non-Jews, it was given to our people, and it is our covenant with God, it is our commandments given to us. We do not tell non-Jews they must keep Shabbos, even though it is in the Ten Commandments. Um, yet, we do believe in a universal moral code. We call this code the Noahide Laws, or the uh, Mitzvot B'nai Noach. Our traditions tell us that God gave Adam, and then Noah, who was the father of all humanity, having being the only one to survive the flood, um, seven basic rules on which to build a society. These seven rules are universal. We believe that our people, as part of our covenant with God, have a role in teaching the rest of society the seven universal rules, the seven Noahide laws. What are those seven universal rules that we 
do want to impose on the rest of society. What are those rules? Firstly, believing in God. You want to encourage everyone to believe in God. Secondly, respect for God, not cursing God, respecting God. Thirdly, the value of a human life, not killing. Fourthly, the value of personal property, not stealing, not taking something that belongs to somebody else. Number five, the value of family life, which includes prohibitions against adultery, incest, homosexuality. Number six, not being cruel to animals, including cutting limbs of live animals or any form of animal cruelty. And finally, number seven is to build a society with rules and laws and a fair judicial system to enforce those laws. So those are the seven universal values that we do seek to impose on all society. So we don't seek to impose the Torah or the Torah's values on society. We do seek to impose the seven Noahide laws or the seven universal values that we feel, that we believe everybody should be keeping, every society should include. So, what then would these Noahide values say about the death penalty? What would the Noahide values say with regard to the death penalty? So, if we actually open up the portion of Noah, where God speaks to Noah, God makes it very clear in his instructions to Noah. He says that the punishment for murder is death. Shafech dam ha'adam ba'adam damo yishafech. One who spills, spills the blood of man, his blood shall be spilled. So clearly the Torah tells Noah there is a death penalty for murder. So we do believe in the death penalty in theory. Do we believe in the death penalty in practice? So the Torah doesn't tell us how no, the Noahide law should address the capital punishment debate. Nor, more most importantly, does the Torah tell us the specific bar of evidence required um, under Noahide laws in order to convict someone. Um, however, we do have an important perspective. There was a great early 20th century scholar called Rav Meir Simcha Kagan, uh, known by his, more famously by his book, The Ar Sameach. Um, and so he points out, and a number of others have pointed out, other Jewish scholars have pointed out, that our Jewish societal laws that we have had in societies, that we Jewish societies have created for 3,000 years, whenever we had Jewish autonomy and our own Jewish kind of judicial system, our own laws, we lived in our own enclosed societies, and we have rules for Jewish societal law. So our Jewish societal <coughs> law is essentially the same as the Noahide requirement to create societal laws. We Jews are expected in our own society to create laws for the betterment of our Jewish communities, of our Jewish society, within the framework of Torah. In the same way, Noahides, or all of humanity, the number seven of the seven rules was to create a societal, a societal laws and create a judicial system to enforce those laws. Exact same as expected of Jews. Um, we were, of course, given the Torah and its instructions. But the creation of societal rules outside of Torah for Jews is equal to that of non-Jews. It's essentially the same rule. And so we are essentially creating 
ethical societal rules for our own Jewish communities, just as we expect, or God expects all of humanity to create ethical societal rules for their communities, whether their cities, their states, or their countries. So, given that in our societal rules, we would allow for circumstantial evidence, only if it is very, very clear, beyond any doubt, that the crime has been committed. And given that in our societal rules, we would allow confession and single witnesses with strong corroborating evidence, the same values would also apply within the Noahide societal rules. So in other words, we just as we in the Jewish community have the right to create laws um, for which there is capital punishment, particularly murder, and to create the bar of evidence. However, if ever convicting someone, we must make sure that that bar of evidence is very, very, very high. And we only convict people if we are absolutely certain that they have committed the crime. If there is any doubt, even the slightest doubt, we will not convict in, um, in Jewish society. And we would have a similar bar of expectations for the Noahide society as well, or essentially for the country that we live in. So if we're asked, does Judaism support capital punishment in California, in the United States? The answer would then be, based on what we've explained, in theory, yes, definitely for murder, as the Torah says so explicitly. The question is, would we, would we support it in practice? Excuse me. Would we support in practice? So, so the, so the, as we said, in order for us to support capital punishment, the bar of evidence would have to be extremely high. You would have to be absolutely certain that this individual committed the crime. Would that support the death penalty as practiced today? So Rabbi J.D. Bleich um, of Yeshiva University, one of the leading scholars today in Jewish law, in particular in its application to modern society, um, made the following point. In the United States, we have a fairly high bar required um, for conviction of um, a capital crime to get the death penalty. Um, for one, it needs to be, um, you, need, you need to prove a beyond reasonable doubt. Um, we also need a, uh, you also need a unanimous jury of your peers to, um, can, in order to gain a conviction. And then the jury themselves not only have to give the conviction as it stands today, but also have to, um, but also have to choose the uh, death penalty as the form of punishment. Only the jury can choose that. However, in the United States, almost all death row inmates are convicted on somewhat questionable evidence. And here's why. The way our judicial system works today is anybody who commits a crime and admit, admits to that crime and stands by that admission, stands by that confession, essentially has pleaded guilty and will not get the death penalty. Although there is no law that you cannot get the death penalty if you plead guilty, in reality, 
we do not give the death penalty for people who plead guilty. Even if they do not admit to their crime, or somebody who retracts, they confessed and then retracted, which is common, if there is overwhelming evidence against them, their lawyer will tell them to accept a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty. So with the exception of crazies like terrorists or white supremacists who plead not guilty to make a point, even though there is overwhelming evidence of their crime, um, the most people who commit a murder um, with overwhelming evidence, many, many witnesses, or you know, video evidence and uh, overwhelming evidence, um, never end up in court because they take a plea bargain and um, for which they end up usually with getting life in prison. So it never, it never usually goes to trial. Who does, which kind of crimes do go to trial other than the rare um, crazy people who then, who plead not guilty just to make a statement in order to be able to um, have their trial um, with, uh, on TV and be able to make crazy statements on TV, other than those few, um, who actually ends up getting um, the death penalty. It is those people who go to trial believing that they have the ability to convince the jury that they're innocent, or at least that, or convince at least one member of the jury that they are innocent. So it is people where the evidence is not entirely overwhelming. So for that reason, almost everyone on death row today, and there's a couple hundred people we have on death row today in the United States, um, had long, complex trials, usually, <coughs> where the evidence is usually somewhat complicated and somewhat disputed. In other words, the, uh, they had the defendant had a lawyer, whether hired or whether a public defendant, who argued throughout a long case on their behalf that they either did not commit the crime or they committed the crime but, not had the, but did not have the intent to commit the crime and spent a few weeks trying to prove that in court. So um, while you need a jury to unanimously convict, which is why it's rare to get a um, death, penalty, uh, uh, um, death conviction, um, however, in reality, almost everyone that does get it um, is are people whom, of the, for whom the bar of evidence is not overwhelming. So, therefore, given such, the Torah presumably would not support, um, if there is at least an argument, um, a reasonable, even if it's difficult argument, but if there's even the slightest argument that they are somewhat innocent, um, that either they didn't commit the crime or didn't mean, or didn't mean to commit the crime. Um, if there's even the slightest argument for what in, in any way in Jewish values, we would not then put the person on death row and would not give them capital punishment. It would mean that most instances in which capital, not all, but most in which capital punishment is given, um, we, would, um, we would indeed um, not convict. Um, in uh, according to our Jewish values, we would not want capital punishment, though we would believe in it in theory. Yes, I think there are crimes which are not people killing each other, like treason, which can have a death penalty. Rosenberg, things like that. Um, would the fact that you have a Jewish history where people who 
show the authorities who sort of like treason create a basis for a country which has treason that that is a Jewish value? Yes, yes, yes. We can have the death penalty um, for a range of crimes. It doesn't just have to be for, um, we used in this country have dozens of crimes for, for burglary. There used to be a death penalty um, in states in the early days of this country. So um, there are probably less burglars, I don't know. Uh, but, the, the, uh, but we can have for other crimes, but the one thing that we want is a very, very high bar of evidence. Since we don't have Jewish courts, and does, are we proscribed, should we be sitting on a jury to act in a particular manner? Good question. That's a good question. Um, in other words, what you're asking is, would it be ethical for a Jew who's sitting on a jury in a case that the law allows you to convict based on the evidence, but Jewish values would not? Would you be able to convict somebody? I would say no, um, because you're still causing their death and would still be responsible um, when, it's when we believe it's unethical. So by and large, Lawyers should try to exclude Jews from being well. Jews that have come to this class and know that, yeah. um, possibly, um, possibly. Uh, if if the lawyer is thinking from that perspective, I would say go on the jury. And um, there isn't that we're not against capital punishment. Um, there's nothing wrong with using your own values in your jury decisions. Yes. I would say that we would have to go by the court because in the Noahide laws, if it covers everyone, I think it would cover us. And it says we have to have a court system. Yes, we have to honor our judicial system, but parts of our judicial system that are outside of our values, we do not honor. Okay. So Israel doesn't have a Jewish court system? Israel does not. Israel's court system is secular. They have a civil Jewish court system. They don't have a criminal Jewish court system. So how do they deal with criminal cases? Sorry? How do they deal with criminal cases? In a secular system. Oh, yeah. So we don't have... So in Judaism, it is very... We do believe in the death penalty in theory. Um, to actually carry it out is very, very difficult um, and very rare, and it should be rare. Um, and so... That, of course, leads to the, each perspective in the debate saying, well, on the one hand, Judaism believes in the death penalty. On the other hand, Judaism makes it very difficult to actually obtain the death penalty. So that pulls, puts the Jewish values um, on both sides. Or, as in most ethical questions, Judaism, as we've seen, takes a very nuanced approach. So, but the question is, if convicting for the death penalty is so difficult, following Jewish values, it would be very difficult to convict. What then is the point of having it? And the question is, furthermore, in the 36 crimes which the Torah gives a death penalty within its original judicial system that the Torah created, um, when we said, what's the point of having these, the death penalty for 36 crimes if actually carrying it out is close to impossible? Since you would have to have, as we said, two witnesses that witnessed it. In addition, the individual, the witnesses must have seen the individual acknowledge that they were committing the crime beforehand. So in how, given that it's so difficult, what's the point of having a death penalty that you're not actually going to carry out? So we believe that the death penalty still has an important value in allowing us to know the severity of the crime. And indeed, in Jewish law, sometimes you have to measure which crime is worse, um, 
or which transgression is worse. And one of the ways that we would measure the severity of transgression is based on its punishment. So the punishment, even if rarely carried out, is, the, um, is one way to understand the severity of the crime. Yeah, and it's important to recognize the cost of our actions, whether interpersonal or religious. Remember, the Torah also gave the death penalty for a number of religious transgressions. So it's important to recognize the, the importance of our actions. And though we may not carry out the death penalty in practice most of the time, because it's so hard to prove that the individual actually committed the crime with intent to, committing, to commit the crime, but if indeed a person did commit the crime with intent to commit the crime, to commit the crime they must know for themselves that they are deserving of the death penalty, even though we cannot actually carry it out. Or for somebody who is considering committing a crime or committing a transgression, whether interpersonal or ritual in Judaism, for which there is a death penalty, while you will never actually get the death penalty, you know that this is so severe a transgression for which there is a death penalty. And this really gives us something that's very fundamental in Judaism. It shows us the importance of our actions. Often we tend to trivialize the importance of our actions and say, uh, this doesn't matter so much, this or that action is no big deal. We'll do this, who cares, no one's going to know, not going to matter to anyone. We believe that every small action a person does um, can make a very, very big impact. The Rebbe once gave an example from the space program, this was back in the 1960s, when um, they first sent, we first sent people into space, and the Rebbe gave the example of an astronaut who is told they must act in a specific way. They're not allowed to um, smoke while they're flying um, because they would blow everything up. And the astronaut says, I don't care, I'm going to just take one cigarette. Um, or that's when smoking was more common. Um, so, or, for, or any other thing where he says, you know what, I don't care what anyone else says, I am going to do this anyway. So he's risking his life, risking killing himself. He's also risking the other people with him, also dangerous. But even if they're all gay, all the astronauts are gay, it would still be a problem because he's also risking the thousands or tens of thousands of people who spent years of their life um, working towards this moment, all that government money that all the taxpayer has put towards that is all being risked with their with their small action. So it's so here a person is doing a small thing, but the impact of their small thing can be huge, can be very very big. We believe that our entire our world is interconnected. Everything in this world, we live in a um, interconnected world. Every action that one person does does not only impact themselves, but impacts the entire world around them, even very small actions. And therefore, it's important to recognize that even though this seems like no big deal, and I'm not hurting anyone, I'm not bothering anyone, or I'm just hurting one person, I'm not hurting anyone else, um, I'm just doing something ritually that God prescribed, um, just doing something, something small, don't treat it as something small. We must always be aware of the impact of our actions. One small bad action can have huge impact that you may not be able to see. 
yet that impact is still there. It's important to always, to end on the positive side, it's important to always see this in positive as well, just as every negative action can have a huge negative impact. In the same way, every positive action, even a very, very small thing, whether it's a small ritual that a person does, whether a small interpersonal mitzvah that a person does, um, even a very small thing can have a massive impact and can make a huge difference. So it's all about um, every, never think that I am not going to make an impact or my actions are not going to make an impact. The reason why the Torah offers the death penalty for so many different transgressions is for us to know, even though you're not going to actually get killed, but just for you to know how serious this is. This is no joke. This is a very serious thing. So much so that your transgression means you deserve to die. You deserve the death penalty. And so it's important to recognize that every small, even a small action that we do can make a huge impact and can be very, very severe, much more severe than it looks. In the same way, every positive action is also much more severe, um, can be or have much greater impact than you think. And re remember and realize and recognize the power of your actions.